0: Welcome to another podcast for U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Jean. This is Jimmy LaSalle. Today we will be discussing the Mount Rushmore project. We have recorded interview between our resident history expert Gene Enzanakis and our guest Matt Swigert, an interpretive ranger at Mount Rushmore. You will be interested to know that the way Mount Rushmore finished was not the way the project was initially imagined. There were discussions of other historical figures being carved prior to the four presidents you see today. I know what you're thinking. Who could they possibly have put on here? But you'll have to listen to the rest of the podcast in order to know. Please follow our podcasts wherever you listen and tell a friend or two. It has been a while since I gave a plug to some of my published works, but take a look at my two fiction pieces, The Naughty List and Immortals. You can go to JimmyLasalle.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble to buy the paperback or any ebook platform you use if you like your e-reader. Now we can turn it over to Jeannie and Matt. Jeannie and Matt, take it away.
1: Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. I think most people don't realize is that Mount Rushmore was supposed to be completely different. It was supposed Mm -hmm. to have a totally different location. It was Mm -hmm. supposed to encompass different historical figures. But Mount Rushmore is located in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota. Can you discuss the rich history of this region?
2: Sure. Um so the Black Hills is a wonderful area of the country to be in. It's a very unique area. Um it's got a lot of diversity in it. It has started, you know, millions and millions of years ago with um just basic uplift of the earth um and basically just grew into it to what it to what it is. Uh we can look back at the the Black Hills in several different ways. We can look at it with the the diverse environment that we have in the Black Hills here uh, with our plants and our wildlife. We have lots of different kinds of trees, primarily ponderosa pines, uh, quaking aspen, spruce, lots of different grasses, wildflowers, fl- wild uh, and things like that. In regards to the, the basic history of the Black Hills, again, there, there are lots of different things that are involved with it. Um, we can look at the, the Native American aspect, where looking at different sources, Native Americans have been in the area for hundreds of, of years and had a, an influence here, uh, especially with the Lakota. Um, and this area is Very influential to them, very sacred to them. In the area of Wind Cave, is one of their emergence stories, where Mm -hmm. they believe that they um, came from uh, came from within the earth, and with them and the bison, and came to be on on the earth. Um, We can look at it through the aspect of how the Black Hills came to be as a tourist area back in the in 1873, General Custer came through the area on an expedition to, because there were rumors about what um, how good the Black Hills were and what potential it had. And Custer, with his large expedition, um, ended up finding some gold in the area. And when that discovery came about, that led to a gold rush. And several years later in 1875, 1875, uh, we had a gold rush in the area that started, and Custer, Hill City, and Deadwood um, all began to grow um, exponentially because we had very few people out this way, and then by 1876, we had almost 10,000 people that were part of that gold rush, mining and seeking gold. And then from that, the tourism began, and the Black Hills just started to expand, and became the great area that it is today, and then eventually we ended up having Mount Rushmore.
0: Okay, so now I do want to take the opportunity to talk a bit more about the history of the Black Hills and how the land came under the control of the U.S. government. The area is considered sacred land by the Lakota Sioux, the original residents of the Black Hills region, who were displaced by white settlers and gold miners in the late 19th century. The Lakotas were originally from the Mississippi region but moved due to various tribal wars. The Lakotas moved to the Black Hills, or Paha Sapa, after their defeat of the Cheyenne. As settlers headed west in great numbers in the mid-1800s, violence erupted in the area between the tribes who had called the land home for centuries and new settlers looking to stake claim to the land. Wars throughout the 1860s and 70s led the U.S. Congress to analyze the current situation with a variety of tribes in the West. The result was the Treaty of Fort Laramie. In it, the Great Sioux Reservation was established, which included the Black Hills. While native tribes lost considerable amounts of territories, these lands were considered Indian territory. That is, until miners found gold on the land in 1874. In 1876, with the Battle of Little Bighorn, or sometimes more commonly known as Custer's Last Stand, which, by the way, does anybody know what General Custer's last words were? Where the heck did all these Indians come from? I'm just kidding. CNN's going to kill me for putting this in there, but this is what you get when she can't talk, and I am allowed to ad lib. During the Battle of Little Bighorn, the territory was being fought all over again. While the Sioux defeated the U.S. forces... The Black Hills territory was still lost. The U.S. government's refusal to send rations to the reservations unless the Black Hills were ceded to the U.S. government left the tribes no choice but to relinquish the lands. As of 1877, the U.S. government owned the Black Hills. Up to this very moment, the Sioux maintained that the Black Hills still belonged to them. The U.S. Supreme Court agreed in the 1980s and ordered the U.S. government to pay the tribes $1 billion. The Sioux have refused payment and instead want their lands returned. It is important to understand the debate over this land ownership and why the monument is considered controversial by some groups. The Lakota call the Black Hills of South Dakota the heart of everything that is. And with that, we will turn it back over to jean Ann and Matt.
1: When it came time to develop the area mm-hmm. and and to create a monument of sorts, The original plan was to sculpt an area referred to as the needles and to sculpt the needles into the shape of historic Western heroes, um, including Native American figures. Mm -hmm. Can you discuss what the original plan was and ultimately why
2: they decided to change it? Sure, absolutely. So the original plan was by a a man by the name of Doan Robinson and Doan Robinson was the state historian of, of South Dakota. And what it simply boiled down to was tourism. Don Robinson wanted to get people to come out to the Black Hills, uh, to come out to South Dakota, and wanted tourists to come to the area. So with that in mind, he his original plan was to have people of Western importance carved into the needles. And the needles are geological features that protrude out of the ground and... They are uh, we have a segment in Custer State Park that is called the Needles Highway, and you get to see a lot of those uh, giant spires that stick out of the ground. And in those spires, he wanted to have people like Lewis and Clark, Red Cloud, Sacagawea, um, Buffalo Bill Cody, John C. Fremont, Jedediah Smith, people like that. He wanted those individuals commemorated and carved into those needles. Uh, and the idea was to have them carved in in the 360 degree aspect. And so that was his original plan. And then once Goodson Borglum comes on board with things, he's going to make the realization that those needles and those spires are too thin. And mm-hmm. so he basically decides that he needs to find an area or location that is going to be a lot thicker and more conducive to what he wants to do. And so he basically goes on a three week long journey. And after that, at the very end of that three week journey, he finds what has come to be known as Mount Rushmore. And when he finds that area, it's got several factors it is thick enough, it faces the southeast. So that way it will get maximum sun exposure during uh, the morning and the early afternoon. And then he makes a decision that he wants to do patriotic individuals. And so throughout a process, um, he chooses George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt to be his carvings.
1: Yeah. So you, you mentioned the creator and sculptor of Mount Rushmore, Gutzon Borglum. And I also, you know, for our listeners just to know that Mount Rushmore was not his only work. He has a piece on display mm-hmm. at the Met at the Metropolitan Museum of Art right here yes. in New York City and his bust of Abraham Lincoln is on display in the Capitol Building in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. So Mount Rushmore not his only piece of work. Mm-hmm. He dies in 1941 and his son Lincoln finishes the monument, but I would like to to know a little bit more about Borglum, why he was drawn to this particular project and i know that you know he chooses these four historical figures as kind of a basis to to explain or to show the first 150 years mm-hmm. of the history of of the country of the united states
2: so borglum the he was drawn to this project uh, absolutely so he initially was working down um on stone mountain down in georgia And through a series of events, he ends up getting fired from that project. And while he was working on that project, he had been contacted by Doan Robinson to come up and look at this projected idea. And so basically what happens is that he realizes the potential of, for lack of better words, a monumental piece of art to be done. And he sees this as a challenge. And he likes that. He likes the idea that i can do something big something patriotic something that's going to showcase patriotism in the united states and and he likes that idea he decides that he's he's going to come on board once he things don't work out at stone mountain again his initial plan was to have presidents but initially there uh one of his early sketches was george washington in in the needles like in 360 and then eventually it's going to be washington and jefferson and then once the the realization that the needles will not work and he decides to to find a new location and finds what becomes known as mount rushmore he decides on washington because washington represents the birth of the country jefferson for the declaration of independence and the expansion of the country with the louisiana purchase abraham lincoln because of him keeping the Union together during the Civil War, and also with the Emancipation Proclamation. And then finally, Roosevelt, because Roosevelt helped to develop the country. He helped to complete what he said was... Columbus's dream to be able to cross from, to get from Atlantic to the Pacific and continue trade and getting the Panama Canal built and getting that process started and completed eventually. And so those are the four individuals that he chose. Now, in regards to changing over time and those kinds of things, there were different versions. And like I said before, it started out with Washington and Washington and Jefferson. And what it really boiled down to was the fact that Goodson Borglum had to essentially listen and read the mountain. And there were nine versions of or nine alter or nine different kinds of changes that were made to the process. And it was different factors. And most of that was the fact that you had to listen to what the mountain said. And if the mountain said somebody could be in this location, then they, then they could be there. And and there were different factors that played in that changed. The, the outcome and the look of Mount Rushmore throughout the 14-year building process.
1: It's very interesting that you say that because even the famous Italian sculptor, Michelangelo, you know, mm-hmm. he's of course famous for painting the Sistine Chapel, but he was also a sculptor. He did not consider himself a painter, but right. he, it was said that he would touch the marble and the marble would tell him what was inside of it. So it's very right. interesting that you said that, that they had to listen to the mountain. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the order. I, I'm curious if there was a reasoning as to why Lincoln is after Teddy Roosevelt. I know Lincoln's head was finished before Teddy Roosevelt's. Right. But why is it Washington, uh, Jefferson, mm-hmm. Roosevelt, Lincoln?
2: So um, so a couple of things here. So you said about like the order and that kind of thing. So they were actually uh, sculpted in order of presidency. So Washington was started, and then Jefferson, and then Lincoln, and then Roosevelt. So that the, the idea of the placement, again, was, was according to the mountain, because originally there was supposed to be Washington, and then to Washington's right, the visitor's left, was going to be Thomas Jefferson. And then Lincoln was going to be to Washington's left, the visitor's right of Mount Rushmore, and then There was always the figuring out of of where and how Roosevelt was going to fit in. I've seen some other pictures that Borglum drew uh, or had some models made up where it was different orders of the president. But the reason for the final product here at Mount Rushmore is because Jefferson was originally started to Washington's left. And when the visitor is looking at Mount Rushmore to the left of uh, George Washington, And so basically what happened is that you had Jefferson started and they had worked on Jefferson's face for 18 months. So that's a year and a half worth of work that had been done. And then there was some realizations made that the rock wasn't good enough and that there were some cracks that were starting to develop that would not have allowed Jefferson to be good enough on that side. Mm. And so Jefferson had to get moved. And the mountain was reconfigured for the final time to where it is now. And then it was Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and then Lincoln. And then Lincoln uh, was put off to this was put on the other side. So there were different variations. And it, again, it, it boiled down to what the mountain allowed them to do.
1: Were there any? other historical individuals whose likeness was considered being added to the monument?
2: Uh, yes. So there there always are visitors that talk about who would be nice to see up on Mount Rushmore. And that is part of your experience as you come here. But there was a movement to try to have Susan B. Anthony put on Mount Rushmore. And that was in 1937. Um, there was There were some individuals that were adamant or wanted to have her placed up there to represent women and women's rights and women's voting rights specifically. And that movement ended up going. There were some senators and representatives that took that to Congress. But then Congress basically made the decision that only funds would be allocated just for the four presidents, and because you have to think about the time frame that the and what the country was going through. Sure, and, the Great Depression, yeah, e- exactly. So this is a a monumental uh, project that that is going on, and they wanted to to just focus the attention on those four presidents and give money for that.
1: I was also reading that there was some talk of adding and entablature in in mm-hmm. the shape of the louisiana territory and mm-hmm. and within that there was supposed to be the history a condensed history mm-hmm. of the first 150 years and ultimately it was due to the fact that it would be difficult to see right if it was yes done.
2: so exactly right so i mean to cut you off but yeah so the entablature uh, was definitely a large part of it and that goes into the whole final changing around of Mount Rushmore. So again if you remember that uh Jefferson was on the other side of Washington and they had started working and getting ready to get the entablature started. And so there were there were several factors that that led into the entablature not being done because they had done a a nationwide contest to see what the what was going to be on the entablature Um, originally calvin coolidge was going to write part of that or all of it i should say and then eventually they have this nationwide contest to see what was going to be on it and there were different levels of winners there was an overall winner there was a college division winner and like i said different levels but the the entablature idea uh, did not happen once Jefferson was moved. And when Jefferson was moved to the other side of Washington, then Lincoln essentially takes the place of the entablature. So Lincoln gets moved there. And then, like you said before, there was concern about the size of the letters and would visitors be able to see from a distance what was going to be inscribed? in the entablature. So uh, once everything happens with with the Jefferson movement, then the entablature idea is scrapped.
1: Now, for the workers, I
2: do want to talk a bit
1: about the workers because I did an episode on the Transcontinental Railroad. I spoke with a number of different historians there. And so interesting because so many people were killed during the building Mm -hmm. of the Transcontinental Railroad. And Mm -hmm. here we are, you have men who are digging through mountain and carving mountain and that one fatality. What were the conditions of the workers, what types of tools and methods did they use in order to complete this project? What do we know about them?
2: Sure, absolutely. So a lot of the workers were were local guys, local men and women that came from the area. And, you know, like we said before, it's the Great Depression. They needed a job. And they, they basically, they did their job and they did it well. And so in regards to like you said uh, about no one dying in the, the building process, and that is always a an, an interesting question that we do get from visitors here at Mount Rushmore, and usually people are kind of not sure if they want to ask a question about it, but and are typically very surprised when they hear that no one passed away. And um, well, safety was a priority here at Mount Rushmore, and Goodson Borglum wanted to make sure that people were safe and what they were doing. And now granted the guys, they had fun. They would play jokes on each other. Um, but safety was definitely a priority. And you know, those, those boats and chairs that they, that they would sit in, um, there is nothing really fancy about them. It's basically like you're sitting, like, mm-hmm. I like to say on almost like a, a swing, like a backyard swing. And then mm-hmm. you have a leather belt that goes around your waist and it helps you from not falling out or falling off. Um, But in regards to uh, their working conditions, I mean, it varied. Um, We have some extreme weather here in the Black Hills. Um, There were days that were extremely cold when they were working. Typically, the workers, if it was below 10 degrees above zero, they wouldn't work. There were days when it was extremely hot at Mount Rushmore. Uh, it, like for an example, in 1936, it was one of the hottest days on records in the Black Hills. And it was 110 degrees in the shade. And it got to the point where uh, some of the granite was, was too hot to even touch. Wow. Um, but one of the neat little side stories of that is that is actually one of the summers where they got the most work done. When it was that hot out. Um, so there were conditions that were like that. The workers had to climb upstairs every day. They were 506 stairs with 41 platforms that they had to go up every single day. And that's when they would start their job. They started their job when they got to the top and not at the bottom. After climbing 506 stairs. Exactly. After climbing 506 stairs. And it's interesting. That's some of the fun parts about, you know, learning things here at Mount Rushmore. Um, It took workers anywhere from you know 15 to 30 minutes to get up those stairs the fastest worker got up he was late to work one day and got up there in just over four minutes so just kind of fun little things there but they kind of you said about the tools and and the processes and those kinds of things so the, again they used the the bo'sun chair when they were coming over uh, over the side of the mountain they had winch houses up top that would lower them over the mountain um, when they got to the point where they could build scaffolding they would build scaffolding On and around the faces, so that way they could do the work. Some of their tools, they used jackhammers, different size jackhammers, and where some of them weighed anywhere from 40 to 80 pounds. So imagine using that. And then there would be a chain that would connect from the bosun chair to the jackhammer, but they were still using that jackhammer every, uh, virtually every single day. They used Simple tools like hammers and chisels, they use uh, things called a a, a Dalit hand facer, which we lovingly call the bumper tool because that would get Mount Rushmore smooth because the faces of Mount Rushmore are as smooth as concrete that you walk on. They use dynamite. 90% of Mount Rushmore it has been carved with dynamite. And then they use different processes and things like that to get to where we get to see our, our faces. Now, like I said, some of those conditions, they had cold days, you had hot days. It can be extremely windy here. We can get storms that come over and just unleash torrents of rain. Or we can have days where we have storms that are coming in and the mountain just pushes them to the side and we have clear blue skies. Now, in regards to some of the other conditions, you know, some of them did wear respirators. Some of them did wear some kinds of hearing protection. Some of them uh, might have used cotton balls in their ears. It just depended on what their their personal preferences is, or per- preferences were. Um, and then in the end, you know, there were some residual things. You know, some of them might have gotten some arthritis from you know the, the, using the jackhammer or, or things like that. There were um, some conditions that they ended up getting some like lung ailments from breathing in the granite dust on a regular basis. So there was some cur- concern there. But again, you know. Um, safety was a priority at Mount Rushmore, and you know our workers were safe, and that was definitely and you know a, a wonderful achievement for that time.
1: There was a want to create almost a hall of records of sort that yes. would also be built in Mount Rushmore. Now I know that mm-hmm. there's that vault, but mm-hmm. is is there these secret rooms that people talk about in Mount Rushmore?
2: So yeah, that is one of the the standard questions that we get here and secret rooms. So there there are internet rumors out there about what secret rooms are behind Mount Rushmore or coming through the eyes or things like that. But what is behind Mount Rushmore is the Hall of Records. And that is basically located between Lincoln and Roosevelt. If you can imagine, you have the faces and then you have a, it kind of, the Mount in the back kind of goes down a little bit and then there's a small flat surface and then another mound of rock behind the president's. And in that second mound of rock or second peak is where Goodson Borglum started the Hall of Records. Going back to the idea of Stone Mountain, uh, when he when he was employed there, he thought about having a Hall of Records there as well. And so that idea was kind of always in his head. And so the Hall of Records was an idea that he had for Mount Rushmore, and they started working on it from July of 1938 to July of 1939. And in that Hall of Records, Borglum wanted to have major documents from U.S. history, original versions of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, Gettysburg Address, things like that. And every time Borglum talked about it, It got bigger and more grand. But unfortunately, when they started working on it from July of 38 to July of 39, when they went to get more money for the project, Congress again, the government basically said, all right, you need to focus your attention on the four presidents. And they would not allocate any more money for the Hall of Records. So in July of 1939, the Hall of Records was ended. Um, So what we have right now is... Basically, like a a vault, almost. Um, essentially, it's a a doorway doorway about twelve or fourteen feet wide, about twenty feet tall, goes back about seventy feet, and that's basically what we have right now.
1: When somebody comes to visit Mount Rushmore, what should they expect to see?
2: So it depends. Uh, it depends on what time of year that you come to Mount Rushmore. There's a lot to see. It, I mean, for what we have, like for an example, as, as we're doing our recording right now it's we're getting a little bit of snow outside and it's foggy out there are days when it's absolutely beautiful blue sky and when the the sun is shining on those faces it it is beautiful every day is beautiful at mount rushmore in my opinion honestly there's lots of things that you can do here in the wintertime to be honest, you know, it's a lot slower season. Uh, we have significantly less visitors that are here. Staffing is not as many people, but we have still our facilities that are open. Uh, we are open year-round except for uh, December 25th. And we have an information center that you can stop in and get some general knowledge. We have our visitor center, which offers a video and exhibit hall. We have, depending on the weather, our presidential trail, which is about six-tenths of a mile, can be open right now. As we speak, a portion of it is closed. Again, it just depends on the weather and how things are. In the summer months, uh, we have many more things that are available. You know, our presidential trail is open. People can walk on that and enjoy a closer view of Mount Rushmore. We have a youth exploration area combined with a Native American village where we have activities in some of the summer months for our younger visitors. And then we have Native Americans that come in and do some presentations in that Native American area, uh, we have, like I said before, we have a, a, a diverse landscape along with our Presidential Trail. Um, we also have our Sculpture Studio, which is one of the the last buildings that uh, Goodson Borglum had his model in, and you can go in. We do presentations in that building during the summer months, and you get to see the the model that Borglum and many other workers would literally. Walk on, crawl on, climb on, take measurements, and then take those measurements back up to the mountain every single day. So, lots of different things like that. And again, like I said, we have our diverse landscape. We have our, you know, our Ponderosa pine trees. We have different kinds of animals, anywhere from little chipmunks to yellow bellied marmots. Um, We have our Rocky Mountain goats, uh, which are in the area, Um, and sometimes they're out and sometimes they're not. So, uh, we have a lot of different things here at Mount Rushmore that visitors can come and experience.
1: What is your favorite part or aspect of either the monument or the visitor center? What's what what do you think is the best part or the best thing to see? That's a
2: tough question. <laughs> I I find joy in in a, virtually everything that I do here at Mount Rushmore, um, anywhere from just walking down the Avenue of Flags and seeing the four presidents up on Mount Rushmore interacting with visitors is is a great part of this job and a great part of being here because you know a lot of a lot of times we talk to visitors and it's it's either their bucket list item you know they've sure wanted, absolutely they, oh yeah and they, they've always wanted to come and see it it might be that they haven't been here in 20 30 40 years and it's so different from the last time that they saw it doing the as a as an interpretive ranger this summer, part of my job was to do our evening lighting ceremony. And that's another part of Mount Rushmore in the summertime that's available where it's a 45 to or 40 to 50 minute long event where you know we have a ranger presentation and then at the end of it we when we bring down the flag, we ask um service members, past and present, to be recognized on stage and to be able to to interact with you know members of the military that you know this is something you know part of of what they've protected and that that feeling of patriotism is is a powerful powerful part of being here at mount rushmore and and that makes it very special to be here sure i mean
1: i know the original plan was to create a monument to democracy mm-hmm. being there every day and and working there do you think that that dream was realized
2: i would say that that in order to answer that question i would say that that is a an answer that is up to the visitors because part of your experience coming to mount rushmore is to think and being here at a memorial a memorial gets you to think a memorial gets you to reflect and part of your experience here at Mount Rushmore is to do that. And that's part of the joy about being here as well. Uh, you had asked previously and just listening to visitors express their opinions on that and thinking about how this memorializes to them, what they think about and how they feel about this being here. And I think that's a great part of, of that idea of, does this monument help democracy to be realized?
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today and your
2: expertise. Mm-hmm. I so enjoyed this
1: conversation with yeah.
2: you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of your journey. Thank you and so much. I hope much. we get to see lots of visitors at Mount Rushmore.
1: Yes, I it, I tell you,
2: it's on my bucket list. I want to come. Absolutely. We'd love to see you here. We'd love to see everybody and, and take your experiences back and share them with everybody that you can.
0: Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.